Hello, friends, and welcome to the Legacy Homeschool Reflections podcast, a podcast where we seek to look at all of life through the lens of a biblical worldview, covering topics pertaining to biblical womanhood, marriage, mothering, homeschooling, and having our hearts tethered to the eternal Word of God. I'm your host, Ruth Adams, and I'm so delighted that you are joining me today for this very special episode with my guest, Val Elliott Shepherd. Valerie and I are going to be talking about mothering today, and I strongly believe you're going to be encouraged by the seasoned wisdom that Val brings to this topic. Before introducing Valerie, though, I want to share the scripture passage for this episode of the podcast, Isaiah 40, verse 1. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Ladies, I want to remind you that we as mothers are also children. We are God's children, and he is gently leading us like a shepherd leads his flock. He has compassion upon us as we seek to raise our little ones, and his strength is available to help us through our days. If you did not hear last week's podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to Val share her story of being born into the home of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot and the story that God has written in her life through these years. I think that knowing her story will make today's episode even more meaningful as you learn about Val's rich spiritual heritage and the faithfulness of God in her life and that of her parents. Val Shepard was the only daughter of missionary parents, Elizabeth and Jim Elliott. She graduated from Wheaton College in 1976 with a BA in English Literature. She married Walter Shepard and has spent 42 years being a pastor's wife, raising eight children, homeschooling, and teaching Bible studies. They now have eight grandchildren, and their adult children now live from California to the UK. Their 44th anniversary is coming up in May. Valerie and Walter's ministry has been one of hospitality, leading prayer meetings, and learning to live in God's grace with joy. She has shared some of the radio ministry called Gateway to Joy with her mother on the Back to the Bible Broadcasting Network. Valerie published a book about her parents' courtship, which came out in February 2019, called Devotedly. Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Ruth. I'm glad to be on. It's a privilege. Well, I have to share with you that when I was a teenage girl, I heard your mother, Elizabeth Elliott, interview you on her radio program, Gateway to Joy. And even back then, I was very drawn and intrigued by the things you were sharing about raising your children because I knew that I desire to be a wife and a mother to many children. And hearing you talk about your life and doing what I hoped and prayed I would one day be able to do really grabs my attention. And little did I know that several decades later, I would have this joy and privilege of having a discussion with you about mothering. (laughs) Well, thank you. I'm glad to be with you. Well, you've been a blessing to me through the years uh, by far, you know, just just Mm -hmm. hearing you from time to time on your mom's program and then some interviews I've I've Mm -hmm. heard uh, recently over your new book. So Mm -hmm. thank thank you you for that. And I am encouraged for my listeners to get to hear from you. And I'd just like to start by asking you, as you look back on raising your own children, 
what do you think are some of the most important foundational things to be teaching our younger children that will set a proper foundation to be built upon? I think praying with them at least once a day, if not twice a day, is very foundational, very important. Um, <clears throat> I had one out of my eight that when I had to punish her, discipline her, I would ask her to pray. And she would say, I'll pray by myself in a very proud tone. So that was one of the, that was one of the few times when, because I believed so strongly in prayer, I was so disappointed that I couldn't change her heart. But it was something that I learned later on as a few of my children were teenagers. And I recognized that I cannot make their hearts pure and holy as much as I want to read the scriptures and pray with them. And those are two very, very important things to do with them. So I believe that if possible, the Bible should be read to them daily. And, but if we can't do that, we do not beat ourselves up. We just say, we'll try again tomorrow with the Lord's help to, to make sure that the Bible is read. Praying with them when they go to bed uh, praying out loud as well as uh, the mother or dad praying out loud with them, as well as asking them if they would like to pray. I don't think children should be forced to pray. In fact, I think they should see the example of their parents praying regularly out loud with them before they make any of the children pray. Um, I have seen it where children they do it because they know they're supposed to honor and obey their parents, but there's often a, not a, a sweet or, or humble spirit in that prayer. Um, not that you can tell by the words. It's simply that I don't think we can manage what the Holy Spirit is doing in their hearts. We can certainly pray for them on our knees together. I believe my husband and I learned a lot during about four or five years of a couple of the teenagers, uh, recognizing that, again, we could not change their hearts, but we could bring them to the Lord and ask him to do the changing. So from the very beginning, praying with them when they're nursing babies, praying with them when you put them down, and then praying with them at least one of the meals uh, with Bible reading, I think is really wonderful. And I know that... <clears throat> uh, parents' schedules, whether it's the dad's or the mom's work schedule, or whether it's um, kids going in and out from sports, there should be a concerted effort of the whole family to make sure that there's at least three or four times a week when they are reading the Bible together and praying. I also think that knowing from my mother's family experience that they they definitely had the habit of reading the Bible and praying twice a day, very, very faithfully. All of them as adults say that that was a very good teaching time for them, but they would also say that they weren't always really paying attention to what was being read. But one of the things that I think was a lack that I think is very important with us as families is for the children to hear the mom and dad pray specifically and ask the children if they would like to pray. And I think the more the mom and dad pray out loud as the children grow, the more they would like to pray for something. And so I'm 
I'm going to focus on that. The prayer is the most important thing. Reading the scripture is also the most important thing <laughs> to, to our top priority. Um, and then talking with the child, I don't know if this <clears throat> goes into more about training Ruth, and we want to go to that later, but I, I think looking at our children with love and seriousness when we need to teach them something and when we need to correct them instead of raising our voices and being kind of whiny ourselves we get kind of petulant when our children are not doing what we know they have been taught to do um, really learning we as mothers need to learn how to keep our voices low and quiet and <clears throat> speak with seriousness but with a tender love in, as we look in their faces i think it's very important for the eyes of the child to be looking at the mother or the father's eyes um, it's not very good and not does not do much good if you're yelling from one room to the other you know you're supposed to do this yeah. it's so much better if it's face to face Yes, sometimes I'll tell my little ones, give mommy your eyes, That's you know, right. wanting to know that they're truly listening. Yes, and another thing that we did that was foundational and they still appreciate was we went almost all the way through, we probably didn't finish it, but we went almost all the way through a hymn book singing the songs that I knew and usually I knew them more than my husband did, but my husband did of course know a lot of hymns. He grew up in a missionary home also, but we had a specific hymn book called the InterVarsity, Intervarsity Hymnal. And many of those hymns are not in other hymn books, but they're wonderful, wonderful theology. And my mother and father <clears throat> learned them through InterVarsity when they were in college. But also, we sang them as a family when we did our devotions. And I think I think it's very, very good for the children to know and hear, even if they can't read, but to hear the family singing those that can read. I think it's important to learn the verses, not just one verse, but to learn at least two of the verses of the hymns. Um, so we'd usually sing one hymn per devotional time. and my children still really appreciate that, that we did that. And the same with my mother's family. They learned the hymns and she said they learned their theology through their hymns. Here's one thing that her parents did not do. <clears throat> the father only prayed whenever they had their prayer time, Bible uh, reading time. And I think that's a lack because I maybe I already mentioned that. I said that there was a lack just not even asking the children to pray, but the fact that he only was the one that ever prayed, I think uh, kind of makes the children wonder when does mama pray or when, I don't know whether she actually prayed with them when she put them to bed, she might have. But I just think it's important for as many people as are willing and able to pray out loud that the children should hear that very regularly. <clears throat> Excuse me. That lifestyle of just praying without ceasing mm -hmm. is part of the family culture. I really agree with that. And I also, I grew up with the hymns and I love the hymns and we're trying to teach our children the hymns 
And I say they're like friends of my heart. You know, certain hymns have been with me in times of joy and sorrow and mm -hmm. um, different seasons of my life. They're just like old friends, you know, and the Lord yes. continues to use them. And like you said, even the individual verses in different ways and at different times to minister to me. Yes, yes, absolutely. They are wonderful. Well, I think that the modern choruses are nice, and many of them are very good, like Bless the Lord, O oh My Soul, and some of the ones that Keith and Kristen Getty are singing. But yes. I think, first of all, they should hear, they should hear some good old-fashioned hymns, especially if they're not hearing them in, in at church at all. Yes, yes. Well, how would you encourage moms to teach their children the truths of the gospel in a way that will affect their character and, you know, just working on Christ-like character and letting it not just be externals, but coming from the heart, from a true relationship with Jesus? Well, I think the best way that I could or that we tried to do that was when we had to talk to them about their behavior. And I really pounded into their heads, and I don't mean that in a, <laughs> in a um, mean way. Yes. I really repeated over and over that they could not do anything good unless Jesus was helping them. And if they trusted in Jesus as their savior, then he would be living in them and he would be the one that would help them to make right choices and to be obedient. So the gospel for my husband and me wasn't as real, although I certainly would say those things that I just mentioned before 1992. I know if you've heard my story, um, I went through 15 years of marriage trying so hard to do everything right. And of course, I believe I was a Christian, but I had not had my eyes and my heart opened to what Jesus actually did by his grace and the fact that his righteousness covered me completely. I think in my head, I knew that, but in my behavior and outward working of my belief in Christ, it was all about, I better do this right, or I will not be able to raise godly ch children, children who grow into godly adults. So it was in 1992 when our oldest was about 14 and 15 that my husband's and mine eyes were opened to the truth of we cannot do more good things to make God love us more. And we cannot do more bad things to make God love us less. He loved us with an everlasting love, a complete and full love from the day before, the day that he had in his mind's eye, our creation. And so that, that experience of going through a Bible study with just my husband and me going through a study of the book of Galatians and understanding that my old life is crucified with Christ and it is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me, made a huge difference in our grace and love towards our children and towards our church people. My husband was a pastor. And up until that time, from 1976 to 1992, we were all about being great examples to other Christians. We were all about, we've got to raise 
a huge, wonderful family. Children are all going to be obedient because we're going to train them well. Well, what I discovered over those 15 years, especially the last three to four years before we did that study, was I was thinking of myself as a complete failure because I could not live up to my standards. My children should be always obedient. My home should be always orderly and neat and pretty. My three nutritious meals on the table should happen every day without fail. Um, my ideal of, of being a woman who gets up early and reads her Bible and prays, that was something I could do easily because I loved getting up early. But what it meant to really commune with Jesus, finding him to be everything I needed rather than begging the Lord to make me more disciplined, help me to be more consistent. By, by the seventh child, I was feeling like I was a failure as a mother. And I wanted to, originally had wanted to raise 10 or 12 children and think I could have the same kind of success that the, the parents of uh, Cheaper by the Dozen had. <laughs> and a funny and true thing happened. A true thing was said to us when I asked my oldest son, he was about 12 or 13, and he was reading it. He might have been 11 or 12 reading cheaper by the dozen. I said, Walter, would you like to have a family that big and just like that? And he paused and thought about it. And he said, if the parents were just like the ones in the book, whoa, that, <laughs> that stopped me because I realized, my goodness, I'm not at all like that mother in that book. That's what I want to be. But in my heart of hearts, I am not a disciplined, persevering, determined person. Now, I can be determined at times, and I can be determined about certain things, but I definitely saw my inconsistencies making me a failure as a mother. And uh, I know that I was working hard at teaching them to obey, and I know that we often got compliments from others that said, your children are so well-behaved. But unfortunately, it was about our performance as parents rather than it's only by God's grace that they're growing up and, and becoming adults that would honor him. So that was a huge change for us in 2015. And by, and by that time, my two youngest and our, our youngest one was actually born just a year later after we'd done that Bible study. It was those two youngest children that got the most grace from us when we disciplined them because we had a new understanding ourselves of how God loved us no matter what failures we had been. So talking about it with them and training them with a gentleness that I didn't always have. Sometimes I had it with my older ones, but I had more of that sense of I've got to do this right or they're not going to turn out. I had such fear that if I didn't do everything right, they weren't going to turn out right. And it wasn't until that 1992 year that we began to understand everything is by God's spirit. And if, if these children <laughs> grow up to be godly adults, it'll simply be because God's grace has been working in their hearts and not because we've done everything right. I was much more careful to say to my, to my two youngest, only the Lord can help you to obey. And you know that that's our rule in our home is that the children need to obey their parents. And we're going to pray that the Lord will help you. And I would give them whatever disciplinary me measure that I believed I needed to give them. But as I said, my youngest one was the one that would say, I'll pray by myself. And she was very 
she was very serious and very determined. Um, sometimes quite difficult to discipline simply because she seemed like she didn't, she didn't want to hear what I had to say. But anyway, I just believe that the Lord, the Lord raised them up. The Lord uses faltering sinful parents to establish a family. And as long as we are really depending on him, the more the children will sense the Lord's presence in their home. If the parents are really all about, we're smart enough and good enough, we're disciplined enough, we can do this raising children, and the children will grow up with a lot more pride and frustration because they don't see their parents apologize or they don't see their parents talking about God's grace. Yes, this is so true. Yes. Well, I came from a family with two children, and it was just me and my brother. And now the Lord has given me seven children of my own. And while I love the joys of a large family, I found that large family logistics are quite different from the atmosphere that I grew up in. And I can only imagine that you can relate to this having an an only child and then the Lord gives you eight. And so, as you know, as the years go on, we mothers can find ourselves increasingly overwhelmed with our growing families, with homeschooling, with being in the trenches of motherhood. And so how can a stretch thin mama practically take the time to disciple each child to make faith their own? Because, you know, our children can't piggyback on our faith. It has to be their own faith. And then we as mamas have this busy, swirling, you know, never ending stuff to do in the home. And so how, how can we encourage our children individually to have a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, of course, I think it does need to be talked about in the family devotional time. But if there are times when you can get together individually with each one, and I don't think it can be very regular with such a large family, but you know that Susanna Wesley tried to spend one hour a week uh, per child. Now that I can't, she had 17, but she only had 10 that lived. So she was somehow able to, I think, you know, I'm sure it was, there were some days that she missed, but she was able to spend an hour per child per week. So what I decided I would try to do was a half an hour to 45 minutes over a period of eight or nine days, I would spend with one child per day, different one each day. And I would try to read to them. Sometimes it was just a fun reading, but if there was something that I wanted to specifically teach them about the Lord, that was the time that I used. And again, it was a little haphazard. It wasn't real regular, but I do remember uh, a few of them really loving that time because they had my full attention. And we would talk about whatever I knew we needed to talk about or whatever, if we, if I didn't have anything specific I wanted to talk to them about, I would ask them, is there anything you have questions about or you want to talk about? And so I honestly, I want to make sure you understand I couldn't do this very regularly because I'm not a real regular person. I'm, I'm very much a spontaneous, um, irregular person. So I tried to keep this 
basic schedule of spending some time. And then there were times when the children weren't at all interested in anything, whether it was whatever book I wanted to read to them or what I was trying to talk to them about. So I do remember keeping a notebook for at least two of them um, of just things they asked about, things that we prayed about. But discipling, I can't say that I, I seriously thought of myself as I need to disciple my children. I think um, going over a couple of scripture verses with my children and also in family devotional time, we did this, just talking about what it meant. I think that meant a huge um, amount of appreciation from our two youngest because our two youngest were at home with us longer and more by themselves than any of the rest of them were because of course the rest of them had all the younger ones at home and they were at home. Um, so our two youngest are the ones that like to talk uh, that we had a Bible reading at breakfast and they started going to public school when they were in seventh and eighth grade because we moved to Africa and it was an international public school. Um, and so they, they learned from then on that, that they, I mean, I told them I wasn't going to be homeschooling while we lived in Africa and I couldn't homeschool them after we got back. So all I'm trying to say is that that early morning time when we had breakfast and before they left for school, we'd have a Bible reading. We would pray as a family. And usually it was one or two of us that would pray out of the four of us. And that has meant a huge, big uh, deal to them. They are very, very, very appreciative that we were willing to read the Bible before they went off for school. And we had to have breakfast at quarter of seven and they had to leave at 7.15. So it wasn't always a lot of time, but it was just enough for them to appreciate the fact that we ate breakfast together when a lot of families don't even eat breakfast together. I know homeschooling families generally are different from that, but kids that are going off to school don't even have breakfast with their parents anymore. Um, so I think it's very important to have family time and some of that discipling can go on during during uh, breakfast or supper. And I think that's, I think it's terribly important to be talking about what the children have experienced through the day. I know of one family from a book that I cannot remember the name of right now. I think it's called Time for Life by Jim Frazee. And he said that they needed, he was a very busy pastor and he had to change his schedule drastically in order to spend time with his family. So they decided that their children were not going to be in sports if they were kept out past 6, 6 p.m. That They all had to be together for 6 p.m. supper and they all had to stay home in the evenings. So he changed his meeting schedules and he made sure that his kids were in sports only that could be meeting before six, which is very hard to find sometimes. Yes. But that made a huge difference for them. This is the way they had their meal time. They would say at the beginning of the day, um, what are you looking forward to? What's going to happen today? And when they went off to school and then at supper time, each of them, and I'm, ser I'm serious about this, they very faithfully went around the table for each one would say how their day went, what bothered them or what gave, gave them laughter or anything about their day they wanted to say. I think that's a really important thing for mealtime to be a joy for everyone to be together. 
and a joy for people to hear each other. Of course, brothers and sisters have to learn to listen to the younger ones without commenting on, no, that's, you don't want to tell that, or that's dumb, or whatever, you know, they can't say anything negative to the younger ones that are learning to express themselves. So I honestly can't think of a very specific way that I discipled my children, except when I read the Bible to them. If my husband had to leave early in the morning for a meeting, I would read the Bible to them, and I would try to do a little explaining and a little question and answer with them, and I think that helped a lot. As long as we're willing to take the time to just sit and talk with them instead of being so busy that they can't even see that we're, we care or that we're interested in finding out what's in their little brains and hearts. Exactly. Just being intentional about those group times together. We call it our circle time in the morning after yeah. breakfast and we gather together and sing a hymn and, and do um, studies from the word of God. And that, that's just our name for it is circle time. But what I'm hearing you say is just being intentional that those times are happening. And then yes. I really like what you shared about having the one-on-one and just yes. planning for that. And, and I think I don't want to make mothers think that they're failing if they're not having that. But I think when you said intentional, it made me realize when we pray for our children early in the morning, we know sometimes there are issues we need to talk with them about as we're praying for them. We're recognizing some things we, we know we've got to have some special time with them and talk. So I would go into my kids' bedrooms in the evening when they're going to bed to talk and, and pray with them about. So I think that's, a, that's important for discipling. They need to know that you care enough to spend some time. And so, again, I don't want to make any mother feel like they're failures if they're not doing the one hour or whatever amount of time yes. per day, per week with one of the family. Um, just just be be enough aware of how you're treating your children, how you're talking to them, how you're hurrying through the day. I really believe that moms at home need to be at peace themselves before they can show and give that peaceful atmosphere to their children. Yes. Well, um, I'm just wondering, you know, we're talking about kind of being busy and how busyness can maybe cause us to not see the needs in the hearts of our children. Do you have any practical tips on just uh, juggling the, the home, the chores, the homeschooling, being a wife, being a mother, just, you know, any just little practical things along those lines? Well, I had to have a schedule of chores and times written out on a chart on the wall in order for chores to get done. And I did have my children do a lot of the house cleaning, <clears throat> but they took turns weekly uh, for certain chores. So, so I, I liked filling out some kind of a schedule. It, again, I wasn't always great at following every hour that was on there, but I was always aiming at that. Yes. Um, my mother would say that the less you have in the home, the more easy it is to have everything looking picked up. 
Right. And she would look at my toys, which uh, for my children, which I thought were few and far between compared to some families I knew, you know, so I thought I was doing pretty well because I didn't have that many, but she would still go through the closets with my kids, helping them to organize and throw out and decide what's really important to keep. And she would again say to me after she'd done something like that, Val, it would just help if you didn't have so many things and so many different outfits, you know, just keep it very simple and very few. And of course, in her day and age, that was much easier to do because number one, they didn't have as many options. And number two, they didn't have the money to buy several different outfits. So um, my mother said we had two pairs of shoes. One was our play shoes or everyday shoes. And one was our Sunday shoes. You know, um, now we, <laughs> we allow our children to get a lot more than they probably need. And I think the, the less children have, the more content they are. The more they have, the less, the more discontent they are. So I guess my tip would be, oh, I forgot this one. Quiet time after lunch. Yes. Uh, the children that can read can get on their beds and read. I would set a timer. I think an hour is perfectly reasonable for a little one to stay in his room uh, playing or taking a nap. Of course, some little ones are going to take a two-hour nap, and that's great. But the first hour, everybody should know that wherever they are put in the house, they have to stay there unless there's a major emergency to come tell mom about. And I would take blood, huh? (laughs) Right, right. I would take a ten-minute nap every day. I had to have a nap, and it's funny because my firstborn, I took a two-hour nap most days because I was in the second year when he was 21 months old, I was pregnant with my second baby. So I always needed a nap. Um, With my second baby during quiet time, I would take an hour nap with my third baby. I'm saying when she was, had been born and she was in a regular routine, I was taking a 20 minute nap. And by my fourth, I had somehow made my body aware that I could only take 10 or 15 minute naps. I didn't have time for more than that. But the rest of the hour, the children still had to keep themselves occupied. They could read, they could play quietly, but as soon as they got too noisy, like you don't always have rooms separate, that everybody has their own room, of course, so you have sometimes two or three in a room, they had to keep themselves busily occupied. Um, I didn't want... I think there was a time when I didn't want them listening to tapes, but then I think there was a time when I thought, well, it's okay for at least part of the time for them to listen to a tape, you know, and back then, of course, it was cassettes. Um, I think as long as they're not playing videos for the whole, video games for the whole hour, but they are keeping themselves entertained without having to have a device in front of them, I think that's very important. Right. Quiet time is what we called it, and I have a funny story about that. My sixth child, Evangeline, came to me when she was about eight or nine, and she roomed with her older sister, who's two years older than she, and they were supposed to be in their room for that hour, and I had laid down actually with the two youngest ones in in my room, and I had the timer set, and I had the timer with me in my room, so I was the one that would go and tell them quiet time was over. Well, she knocked on my door right before the time was up. And she said, mama, 
are we still supposed to be in our quiet time or when does quiet time end? And I said, well, I looked at the timer. I said, we've got two minutes left. And she said, well, Colleen went outside. And I said, oh, well, she's not supposed to be outside. You can call her back in till quiet time's over. So she goes to the front door and she says, Colleen, it's time to stop talking to God now. And that the only reason she said that is because I had said to them, if they couldn't think of anything to do, they could simply lie on their beds and talk to God or they could fall asleep. They had to stay in their rooms, you know? And so that's what she's thinking is they were supposed to be talking to God that whole time. And so Colleen had gone outside without any permission and she, she went and yelled, it's time to stop talking to God now. So it, mean, it meant that the quiet time had just gotten over just by then, by the time she got down and out to the front door. So. That was just yes. a funny thing. But yeah. <laughs> I think it's very important for them to have a quiet time and to keep themselves entertained. My mother said she did not expect to entertain me ever, except when she read to me before bed or might read me a book during the day once. But that was she was she was expecting me to keep myself happily playing with an Indian child. Um, I could go outside, play by myself if I didn't have an Indian child with me. We left Ecuador when I was eight and a half. Um, but she worked during the day. She had to be translating uh, scripture into Quechua. She or Alka, and she was very busy. She was teaching women literacy, and she was teaching the men how to teach. And this was after my dad was killed, of course. So she said, you don't have to entertain your children. They can find things to do. <laughs> that was, it was kind of new for me for the first three or four to, to really recognize that they do have imaginations and they can think up things to do. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> you, you have a legacy, of, a beautiful legacy of your parents um, serving the Lord with their lives and, and missions. And I'm wondering how can we as mothers encourage our children and give them that vision to, to live for the kingdom of God, to live for God's eternal perspectives and to have a heart for what God's doing in missions and in ministry? Well, definitely expose them to good books about missionaries. Definitely expose them to the lamplight or the torchlight, is it torchlighter, lamplighter series, um, of stories and have them listening to them, uh, read, talk to them about a missionary that you were very impressed with. Um, that That's very important to have them hearing stories and missionaries coming to the church and them listening to what the missionaries say about their work is very important. So just have them exposed to why do people go overseas? You know, what has Christ told us? He's told all of us that we must go and preach the gospel. And whether it's our neighbors down the street that we must be concerned for and praying for, or whether it's those people over in Africa, we, we must keep talking about it and praying. I think helping the children to understand we're praying for people around the other side of the world that don't get the mail that we get every day. They're, they're, lonely, for, they're lonely for communication from people in the states, so it'd be good to have children write to missionaries and maybe even have pen pals among the children of missionaries. That's a great idea. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and I found that as my children have grown older, some things have become easier while other things get harder. And one challenge is juggling children of various mm -hmm. ages with their mm -hmm. varied needs. And 
I know mm -hmm. having raised eight children, you've experienced this. So what advice would you offer to mothers who find themselves juggling many different age groups? <laughs> I think God gives the grace to, to work it out every day. Um, I don't, I don't remember thinking to myself, I'm juggling so much. I just kept on making meals and I kept on getting my kids to do work around me. And I delegated a lot and I, uh, hmm, I found that the co-op, having a, a homeschool weekly co-op was more challenging than I wanted it to be. And so we did that almost every other year. We didn't do it every year. I just felt like there was too much going on to try to everybody get their stuff ready for co-op and get in the car by a certain time and get home and be able to still be productive in the afternoons yeah. <laughs> and so, the more time you were at home the easier things seem to yes. flow yes. yeah i found that too yes and i i don't think shopping more than once a week is really necessary um i think i think this whole consumer society that we live in is ingrained into many of us as children that we need to go out shopping in order to be entertained. And I think that's totally wrong. I think we need to be entertained with what God has given us outdoors and books and each other. Yes. Those so are I don't, I'm sorry. I don't have a very good answer for how do I, how did I juggle or how do you juggle? I just think a quiet time, for the mom is very, very important. If she didn't have that quiet time early in the morning, she needs that hour after lunch by herself, as well as the children keeping themselves entertained. And, and then she, she's able to think through not only what has to be done in that day, but what, what do I need to work with in this child? And that's how you disciple them is when you're talking to them about their behavior honoring Christ, um, honoring their parents, loving the children. I heard a mother of 10 say one time, the only thing that you're constantly, if you can keep everything down to these two simple commands, this is what life is all about, loving God and loving others. Mm -hmm. And if you, you dilute, not dilute, but uh, subtract all of those extra things that seem to have to be done well is it under loving god or loving others if it's not then it's probably extraneous it's probably not necessary um it's very wise i think my children begging to go to the mall um i would often say i don't have time to take you and i don't i don't think it's necessary um, unfortunately, there was a short period of time when we had a woman in our church who loved to be with my kids, and she would often offer to take them to the mall because she knew I had the two youngest ones at home. And I let it happen a couple of times, but then I began to feel uneasy that she was just feeling like she was so important. <laughs> she was <laughs> wanting to take my children to the mall. And, and of course, she loved their, their loving her. You know, she, it was more about her. And what, so I, I'd be very careful about um, how much you give to other people to do with your children uh, because you and the father are the most important people to those children. Absolutely. And, and I think it, when you do have a bigger family, I think the dad and the mom can divide up the time spent with each of the children and the dad can certainly disciple and work with the boys. If you don't have boys, you, all, you have all girls, the dad can still work with the girls. I think it's very important that the dad 
spends time talking to his kids. Very important. Well, the seasons of motherhood move along quickly, and before we know it, our little ones are getting older, and we're, we're you know, seeing the teenagers and approaching the time when they fly the nest. And um, what would you say, just some wise, um, some wisdom about letting our young people grow older, but still there needs to be accountability and respect for parents, but letting that rope out and letting them um, have new privileges. What about those years? Uh, I expected my children to become more independent as they got into their teens and older, of course. And so I, I was not a real clingy, overprotective mother. And, and it was because my mother wasn't either, but it wasn't that I didn't feel loved. It was simply that she really expected me to be able to do things that she'd taught me to do. And she expected me to keep myself entertained. So as you have children going into their teens, again, looking them in the face and talking to them by themselves is super important. Maybe taking them out for a walk or taking them out for coffee, whatever. Uh, if there's an older one that can stay home with the younger ones and, you know, letting, making that happen once a week, at least with one of the teens. Uh, again, depending on how many children you have, I, I just think the mothers and the fathers need to be not only praying together for their children, but they need to be talking to each other about what does this child need? And I, I was, some people thought I would be devastated with when my youngest one went off to college and I had no more children at home. Well, it had gotten um, easier, of course, when they started going to school and we went to the Congo and they started going to a regular school. So of course I had more time at home by myself after they left. But I was very thankful and happy when they reached the age of ready, being ready to go to college. I was not, I was not the least bit devastated. <laughs> I was actually quite happy when they all left for college. So um, I'm probably pretty different from some moms that I, I just, we can't really be our child's best friend. We are their mothers and we can certainly give gentle and kind advice as mothers, but we can't be their best friends. And they need to learn that Jesus is their best friend and they can also have friends their own age, but they can't find all of their comfort and their strength from those friends. It has to be Jesus and it has to be seeing that their parents are walking with the Lord. And our relationship certainly changes as they get older and our, I think our role as mothers changes to where we have more of a role on our knees praying for them. Right. You know? That's right. That's My right. My is away at college now. And so, you know, um, I'm not with her every day, but I'm with her in my heart and praying sure. for her. And, sure. And so are there um, any, any things that you have found have, have worked well once your children have left and just continuing to stay connected to their hearts and, um, mother them from a distance, you know, mm -hmm, be a, mm -hmm. um, uh, encouragement to them from afar. I think just writing to them or talking with them once a week, at least. Um, we, we have a family chat for all 10 of us, plus some of the in-law kids. 
And that has been wonderful. We've had that going since 2013. So it's been seven years we've connected, kept connected with each other, which has been great. And it can be, you know, just silly chatting. And it can also be, I need y'all to pray for such, such and such. And it's been wonderful to have that family chat. But when, I, when my youngest was going off to college, that was 2012. It was right before we actually started the family chat. And um, we talked to each other about once a week, I would say. And I would try to write letters or send a little package to her, again, quite irregularly, but just enough to let her know how much we loved her. And um, I'm sure I could, I could have done better at sending regular mail. I've never been very good at corresponding, but I'm trying to learn to actually write letters, real letters, and not just emails. Um, I, think, I think real letters are very precious in this very day precious. and age. Yes, to one day be able to look back on all of those. Yes, I have all my mother's letters to me, and they were absolutely wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Valerie, I just really appreciate the seasoned wisdom that you've shared today. I wonder if you would be willing to pray for the mothers who are listening to this podcast. Sure, I'd be happy to. Dear Father, I thank you for all of these mothers that you have given children to. I thank you, Father, that you are our Father. You are a very tender, loving Father. I thank you that we can come to you at any moment of the day for any sorrow, any worry, any fear, and you will listen. I thank you, Father, that you tell us to pray without ceasing. I thank you that you tell us in your word that um, your ear is not too heavy that it cannot hear or too dull that it cannot hear, and your arm is not too short that it cannot reach down and save. Father, I pray that you will encourage and lift up these mothers' hearts as they look over their broods of children and they worry and get fearful. Oh, Lord, take away the fear from their hearts. Um, Lord, you're in charge of these children growing up into adults, but you used us and you use us, Lord, to help them to grow. So please give these mothers wisdom, Lord. Please give them discernment into each child's personalities and ways. And please give them the words, Lord, that they need to speak to each of their children. And if there's been a hard-heartedness and a distance between a child that's at home and, and his or her mother, I pray that you will, you will close those gaps, Lord, and that you will help these mothers to be the initiators of anything that might need to be spoken about, and especially for these mothers to ask forgiveness of their children when they have neglected their children or when they have just had a sort of continuous irritation with them. Please, Lord, remote, remove those irritations. Help these mothers to spend the time with you that is needed to be able to look at their children with deep love and with thankfulness. And I thank you, Lord. My husband taught me something very important early, early on that we are to raise our children in faith in you, Lord, the covenant and promise-keeping God. And we're not to raise them with fear. So I especially pray, Lord, that you'll take away all fears from all of these mothers who have been listening. You will teach them, Lord, that you are in charge of these children's hearts. Um, they are in charge of feeding them, caring for them, um, 
talking to them, but that really you are the one, Lord, that does the saving and the growing in their hearts. Father, give, give these mothers that assurance that your word is true and steadfast and that your love is everlasting. Thank you, Father, for your everlasting love. Thank you for your loving arms that are around us as we put our arms around our children. Lord, give, our, give these mothers the security to be able to give their children security in the home. And uh, especially, Lord, we pray that, that every single mother and dad will take the time to pray and not be too tired to pray with their children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Val, I have been so blessed to hear the things that the Lord has taught you through the years, and I feel confident that this is going to bless many mamas who listen. So thank you so much for being a conduit of God's grace and truth today. You are so welcome. I, I pray it's the Lord's work and not, not anything that I could have said that was amazing. It's just the Lord. Oh, it's been a blessing. Thank well, you. friends, I encourage you to check out Valerie's beautiful new book, Devotedly, that she wrote about the love story between her mother and father, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. I just received my copy in the mail, and it is a gem of a book. You can find that book at devotedlybook.com. Thank you so much, friends, for tuning into the podcast today. I pray you have been encouraged, and I thought it would be fitting to close out this special episode with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. And I want for you to think of it in light of the calling God has put on our lives as mothers. Elizabeth Elliot said, This job has been given me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I may make to God. Therefore, it is to be done gladly if it is done for Him. Here, not somewhere else, I may learn God's way. In this job, not in some other, God looks for faithfulness. May the Lord help us to be faithful mothers, carefully shepherding our flock of children and raising them for the glory of the Lord. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you until we meet again. Amen.